everyone, I'm Riyad Alkyol and this is Dignified Resilience, a podcast on fresh narratives on confronting despair, alleviating distress, and forging ahead. In this podcast, we hear from people around the globe at all stages of life and variety of industries and learn how to channel dignified resilience to survive, feed the soul to heal, and connect with others through inspiring compassionate actions and behavior. At the same time, I aim to grow a global conversation that seeks to better acknowledge different sociocultural perspectives on meaningfully weathering life's adversities and achieving well-being. Here is a noble and humane invitation for surpassing our old selves by learning about and from other people's moving forces and limitations for successfully overcoming affliction and ache. Remember, we have different lives, distinct pathways, cultures, and contexts, but we can find common ground in supporting dignified resilience anywhere. So let's go then. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Riada. Welcome to Dignified Resilience. Our today's guest is an incredibly inspiring leader, and I'm so thankful he found some time for me, and I'm very honored to have Victor Ochen as my con- conversational companion. Victor Ochen is the founder and executive director for African Youth Initiative Network, INET. He is known for his dedication to human rights and justice and is a beautiful personification of nonviolence activism. Victor was born in northern Uganda and he grew up amidst violent conflict that displaced 3 million people, where 60,000 children were abducted and forcefully recruited as child soldiers including his own brother. Victor spent 21 years of his childhood as a refugee in the camps, where he survived on one meal a day for seven years. But Victor is an incredible force. He has become an inspirational leader and an icon for many young Ugandan and African leaders. While living in those camps at the age of 13 years, Victor formed a peace club and led the anti-child soldiers recruitment campaign amidst the war in northern Uganda. His campaign, uh, and he will tell us more about his work, but his campaigns against the recruitment of child soldiers amid the war in South Sudan helped over 2,000 militia groups put down their arms and walk away to join other refugees in Uganda. Uh, Additionally, his organization has so far provided reconstructive medical repair to over 21,000 war victims of rape, mutilation, and gunshots. To add more, Forbes magazine named Ochen in 2015 as one of the 10 most powerful men in Africa, and he's the UN Goodwill Ambassador for Peace and Justice, as well as the youngest ever Africa nominated for Nobel Peace Prize in 2015. Goodness, I don't know if I forgot something, Victor, uh, in this long list. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you're very busy, uh, but I've heard that you're just always eager to find time to connect with new people and to share your experiences about your life, but also about the work that you do for helping youth overcome the traumas of war, but also all sorts of programs that you created to make wars less common in Africa. Thank you. And how are you? It's Friday afternoon. Um, How are you doing? Yeah, nice meeting you, Riada. I am really grateful and delighted to be welcomed uh, for this magnificent uh, uh, talk. Uh, Most importantly, appreciate very much your very kind introduction. Uh, I wish I was all that. (laughs) Yeah, and I am happy that I, I... I'm taking part in this incredible opportunity to to be part of the global dialogue on dignified resilience. And I I think all I wanted to always say is to to be able to find a community, a society of people who think alike, but also most importantly, the people who are passionate, who share compassion, share identity. Because I feel like we are just one human, one planet. That's the summary of everything. No matter what we do, we nobody belongs to another planet. Now we are living a moment when, with the disaster of Corona, we have become more 
connected than ever before because for mm -hmm. the first time the entire planet is threatened by one common invisible enemy so it calls it comes down to us turning our energy to realize that we're just one we're just human we're just limited and we have to utilize whatever we have to be ourselves i'm happy to be here i'm looking forward to a very good discussion thank you so much again uh victor you're always very kind as well um, I do know that particularly in the last couple of days, you have been very active and very busy with the local launch of the emergency UN appeal, which targets in total $2 billion to combat the pandemic as an effort between the UN agencies and private aid organizations. Um, what I'm interested about are your thoughts on the situation. I mean, you, of course, Absolutely, we are all connected in ways that this pandemic just made more obvious. But of course, yeah. we do understand now that there are different realities which reflect consequences that are not the same for everyone. In terms of the yeah. humanitarian catastrophes that loom in many places and unfortunately in different ways. So, and I know there are 1.4 million refugees in Uganda. So can you tell us a little bit about that specific effort that you have been very active about um, very recently? Yeah. Uh, yes, like the rest of the world, when Corona news came, everybody felt threatened and everybody was wondering to which direction do we look, who do we call, and mm -hmm. how do we get out of this global mess uh, together? But also, we, we've been witnessing from what was going on in Europe, in Asia, and the disasters we're seeing in the United States. It's mm -hmm. just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, in other parts of the world, Africa too. But, you know, coming from Africa, it feels so different in the global corona narrative. You know, the uncertainty of living, not knowing what's almost obvious knowing what's going to happen, but not knowing when it's going to happen. Sure. is really the dilemma that many Africans are caught up in. And unfortunately, over the years, uh, due to challenges in national leadership or uh, across the continent, not so much has been taken into account in terms of infrastructure development. The problem has always been most African leaders who have been so involved in misuse of power, abuse of natural and national resources in a way that uh, whatever was needed to support the local people, people, they didn't care about it. The basic needs of like strengthening the medical capacity, promoting education, promoting shelter, enhancing economic capacity of the local people has never been their priority. Mm -hmm. Their priority has always been power, has always been about how can they remain in power stronger. Mm -hmm. And they knew that always, Whatever they needed security, whether they need, whether it be social security, health security, education, they had means to fly their families and themselves for treatment in America or in Europe or in Asia. So they never cared about their very, very home. And to this moment, you find that Africa is pretty much like a, a is like a ship in the sea of poverty, where for a long time. The, the 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 ship captain and the crew had means to put on themselves the life jackets and that means that if as much as people are floating in the middle of the sea of poverty they had their means to fly their families who need what is not available in the ship to fly them to the mainland of europe and america for treatment they had that means and that has been how they were blinded so much that they never saw the need to build their home, but to count on uh, life in Europe or in America. And now we are, the, the citizens feel like they are the, they're the passenger in the, in, the, in the ship in the middle of the sea with a looming crisis of corona, without a life jacket, without anything. So that dilemma is where people are deep, you know, mm -hmm. at the fix. People don't know what to do. So that's why when it came in, we started asking ourselves, Corona brings so many issues. Among them, we have so much Corona violence, violence related to Corona now. A lot of tension growing on between men in uniform, the army and the police, 
who are being commanded to enforce law or to enforce lockdown. Again, it's extremely poor people who doesn't have anything to lock down. Majority are too poor to lock down. They can't go in the house because they survive on daily economy and to math economy. They can't say we have saved, nothing is saved. And now in that process, the misunderstanding, the, you know, the lack of trust is creating a lot of violence. If you might have heard, Corona violence has killed more in Africa than coronavirus. So that's a problem now. So we're thinking, can we get a way of empowering the community, sensitizing the population, taking the information to the right people who are mainly offline, offline. Majority of the Africans are population who are not online. They have limited access to technology, to television, to internet, to electricity, to computers. They don't have. And then we're saying, can we have another, in addition to the information I provide, can we also provide special trauma, emergency trauma response to this population who has, they've been through miseries of life, calamities after calamities. We have in Uganda, there's been years and years of conflict. People have struggled to live, people are struggling to recover. You go to the neighboring Congo, the same community, you find there's corona, there is Ebola, there is a war, there is poverty, there is suffering. And you ask yourself, what else can it be worse than the life you're seeing? You can't be running away from Corona to Ebola, from Ebola to conflict, to being killed, to poverty. And then this is really such a wobbly kind of, it, 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 it turn around your brain, your heart, and you're wondering what can we do? So we started now saying, let us do something as an African initiative. Can we mobilize ourselves, engage the young people? whose energy has always been manipulated for war, let us redirect our energy to fight corona and save our community because we know post-corona should mean change. Change should mean life, that every life is treated with respect and is treated with peace. So we came about with our initiative and I'm happy that United Nations in Uganda agreed to understand that let us make a collective joint appeal to, you know, to the donors, to development partners, to support the initiatives uh, aim at preventing uh, the spread of corona, but also supporting people who are already terrified by this disease. So we, actually the appeal was officially launched yesterday. Mm -hmm. A huge uh, fundraising drive has been kicked off. And of course, we're also part of that. In the event that we, the resources come in, we hope, since we don't have capacity to treat or to fight it, we have to prevent it. And now that's we're saying that, let us drive our trucks with, with, with public address system, sensitize the population, help people, not be overly terrified, but prevent themselves from, uh, you know, from being exposed, but also work towards uh, eradicating or preventing the spread. But most important, we have to keep up alive. So that's what we're doing. And we're mobilizing the community, the population, we're driving to the community. We have reactivated what we call community resilience network. These are network of community-based social workers, volunteers who are willing to support, provide emotional support and reach out and above all prevent or uh, mitigate any potential conflict arising from Corona. So this is what we are doing and this is what we have already kicked out and we have put our appeal and call for resources and support out there. Yeah, I think that uh, you've touched upon so many um, problems and challenges that, that you have to face and in 2018, there was also 213 million malaria cases and over 360,000 related deaths. And um, as you mentioned, um, on April 10th, the World Health Organization has said that a new case of Ebola has been confirmed in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which came just days before the country's largest ever outbreak was expected to be declared over. So that yep. resurgence of Ebola kind of is a completely new, not new, but yet another issue that could overwhelm the country's um, strained health systems. And just to kind of share with our, with our listeners the, the, the scope of the threat and the danger is of the COVID-19 pandemic as it expands in the World Health Organization African region, despite the implementation of the lockdown orders in many countries, as of April 17th, um, the, the models of, of prediction said anywhere between 300,000 and 3.3 million African people could lose their lives as a direct result of COVID-19. Um, depending, of course, on the intervention measures taken to stop the spread, 
But even in the best case scenario, the report said um, that, I mean, the, the huge risk and the economic catastrophes and the economic fears, as you mentioned as well, uh, are just uh, huge, huge risks in a way that uh, the commission estimates that um, halt, uh, large sectors of economy would be just stopped and about 29 million people would be put into extreme poverty, meaning earning less than $1.90 a day to live on. So I think that that lack of trust between government and societies that you mentioned is absolutely um, it's 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 stunning threat, um, and I am I was wondering, but you touched upon it, of course, in terms of your present endeavors to kind of make that chasm and that gap in trust between the communities and the government yeah. become smaller. Um, yeah, maybe in addition to that. Uh, as you said it, in the struggle or fight against pandemic, trust is key. And unfortunately, most African government lacks. They don't have trust from their population. And that really hampers so much the fight against you know, corona. And I, you know, the, the information that's also distilling or coming forth is that misinformation. There's so much myth being created around the old incidences of corona. And people are saying, if people in Europe and America who have all this medical capacity and dedicated uh, you know, government that mean well compared to what we have in Africa are dying this many, what will happen to Africa without even 5% of the medical capability of what Europe and America has? So this is really where the dilemma is, and yes, they're saying, as African uh, you know, sons and daughters, first of all, we have seen that, as always internationally, funding has always been only available for international organizations and United Nations. Local initiatives were never given funds. They're, wherever the fund, development fund comes to Africa by this big organization, it's always them, you know? Only African brought on border for the minor, you know, a local lower level of leadership, not decision making. And unfortunately, when Corona struck, they were all evacuated. So most international agents who have been evacuated, the leaders, they've been evacuated back to their original countries, mostly in Europe and America. And now they they left here a huge humanitarian response gap. And then now the, the challenge is the people that never got money like us are now the people being demanded to intervene. And people who always got all the money have either been evacuated or lack the understanding, the dynamics of the local population. They lack the culture, they lack the economic reality. They never, they never did what, you know, what they understood well. They only did what they researched, what they studied. Unlike us who, who has always performed based on our experience, not what we studied, not what we researched, but what we lived, what we survived and what we are overcoming. So this is the challenge. Uh, resources have always not been made available to the local Africans or initiatives like ours, but most resources come back and leave the continent. So this way, it has always been a challenge. And of course, the government needs us, and we need the government. But if lack of trust is you know, stampeding everything, it makes it difficult. But who dies at the end of the day? The innocent poor people whose life has been, you know, after calamities after calamities, like in northern Uganda. It's a community that is emerging where I'm from. It's a community that is emerging from over 20 years of violent war that displaced millions and millions and tens of thousands of children were taken as child soldiers. They will never come back. And they're just struggling to get back. And this is a community that has, in the last decade has been through Ebola twice. Mm -hmm. There was twice Ebola outbreak. It's a community that has, they, have, they have seen consecutive and continued death from whether it be, you know, all forms of disease talk about malaria. Right now, WHO has just declared there's a yellow fever outbreak in that region as well. It's a region where there is one point over a million refugees. And also a region that is currently living swamped by heavy invasion of locusts. So then you wonder, say, what is going on? Mm -hmm. From the ground, from the air, from everywhere, there's attack and suffering and struggling. So it's a community that needs to be supported. And that's why we look at Local experts, the local experience is important, but what we can do, we can no longer keep quiet. We have to call upon people who want to help 
governments and another person. If they really mean well for the local Africans, there's no better time to support them than now. Absolutely. And I hope that this podcast and this meeting and this connection is something that will be beneficial in terms of also informing our listeners uh, about the struggle that people are having in different places, in different countries around the world, in different circumstances. Um, and listening to you speak while knowing all about your endeavors throughout the years and how quite open you have been about sharing some very painful moments and phases from your life as well. I did want to also ask, where do you find inspiration to keep more to keep moving forward as resiliently as you do because you always sound so empowering to others and uplifting their spirits while still never of course hiding or running away from numerous difficult realities on on the ground and i ask you this also because i read um yesterday an article which cites some scientific studies as well how people hate being disappointed as in that research shows how people are willing to go to great lengths to avoid disappointment. And psychologists mm -hmm. call this perspective outcome bias. And they find okay. that people are willing to make more of an effort to avoid disappointment than to raise the probability of success. But you, again, just hearing you now and knowing about you and hearing from others who know you, you're just a force of hope always so where do you find that inspiration victor <laughs> well i thanks a lot first of all for uh, that feedback and i it's true uh you know when you live in a society that you are 360 degree confronted with hardship you you know you're you're looking around you know every end of the year you're hoping something new a new fresh breath would come and something totally disastrous comes and reaches a point where you know it's not a false alarm anymore our life is a life of uh, continued struggle to to exist but also we put it that it should be continuous continued struggle to coexist in the struggle for existence yeah it's true that it's uh it's some it's been some immeasurable journey of uh pains and all that you also noted that all these pains came about because of the discrepancies discrepancies in the system in the in the in the world in the society in our government internationally as well so there is uh it's been a struggle so reach a point when you reach you wonder say how long will it go what will it take before i have seen another disaster it's not a long about how long Will it take before this piece is over? But before we have seen another disaster, and then it, it feels like you know it's a fatigue of despair. You get so fatigued of suffering and being afraid, being unwanted, feeling you know marginalized, feeling you don't belong. That that question of your humanity start coming and start building in. It's an exhausting emotional you know journey that year in year out they break and you wonder say look i'm a christian why do i pray every morning i wake up every evening i go to bed every sunday i'm praying and nothing is changing what is going on and you look at it from the societal point of view you are paying taxes in and out nothing is changing you are struggling to study and no jobs no nothing is changing and then you wonder where do where will the change come from? Where will life be be different? Our streets are not full of sirens of ambulances. Our streets are full of sirens of important people in the government, politicians who feel so important that they they don't need to buy ambulances. They don't need to don't strengthen you know they don't want to strengthen medical facilities. They only buy vehicles, lead their ways home or whatever they want to go. So this kind of feeling becomes like severe emotional cancer. So that anger, that feeling of pain and despair and feeling of not belonging, unwanted, or being marginalized is just physical, uh, physically exhausting, but it's also emotionally, you know, draining. And to me, anger is an emotional anger. In, in, in a, it's an emotional cancer. It doesn't kill the person you're angry at, but it kills you with angry. So that's what we thought and say, no, 
Instead of being angry, let's do our part and bring about change we seek in a society. And of course, the whole journey, our initiative, the African Youth Initiative Network, which we started 15 years ago, definitely started out of pain, but became a motivation to us to do our best to support our people, to save life, to give hope, to restore dignity to the members of the society. And eventually also became an inspiration to other people as well. It motivated us and inspired other people. And that has been a journey that it has helped us escape our trauma and our torture. Every time we see life change, that's where we get our inspiration from. That's where we get renewed. Every time we take away tears from people's eyes and restore smiles, that's where we get recharged. That's where we get renewed. You know what I thought about while you were speaking that? I thought about the commitment you made to your mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that kind of um, echoes throughout what you've been saying. Um, what is the commitment so that, that our listeners learn it too? Well, uh, of course, when, whenever we were wondering why, why us, why all this, and why the journey or up to survive every day, you're being targeted, you're surviving every next moment, and on the peak of war or suffering or terror, you could see painfully how our moms, our parents, our fathers were struggling to even get us what to eat. But <clears throat> as they're struggling, are we here? Yeah, are you, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Are you back? Yeah, yeah. Somebody was trying to call me. Oh, okay. So you would wonder if some if 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 you see your parent moving day in day out, all direction trying to get for you something to eat, then you reach a point of saying, they're they they're desperate. A lot of parents died in the process of looking for just water to give their kids, and then our parents' biggest fear was if we would would live long enough like they had lived. And of course, there was gun violence everywhere. People were being killed, people were being abducted, people were being forcefully recruited as child soldiers. And then you reach a point where, you know, parents are desperate to know, maybe perhaps you have already also given up in life. But I remember on a peak of journey and, you know, struggling and pain and crying and surviving attacks, abduction here and then, I just told my mom, say, you know what? I'm tired of living the life I'm living. I want to live the total opposite of the life I'm living, and I should live a life of peace, not a life of war. I shouldn't live a life where I struggle to find what to eat. I wake up not so sure if I'm going to eat today. That life must not happen to my kids. Must not. I should be the last person to have lived this kind of life and probably be among the first generation to open up a new space. So I did make a commitment my mom that despite the trauma, the challenges, the suffering, the poverty, even though we are being attacked and being shot and being beaten every day, I will never pick up the gun. And I made a commitment that I will never pick up the gun. I'll never learn how to shoot a gun. To date, I do not know how to shoot a gun. I don't know how to, to even think about it. And I will never. That's the commitment I've made. And that was a commitment that has helped me move the journey to where I am today. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that I learned from you, which I called four R's, I don't know, do you call them four R's, but the thing that you often talk about in terms of relationships with yourself, with society, and you say relationships with your dreams, I mean, that got me thinking when you say you have to think first also about relationship with your dreams, and then Mm -hmm. Other things like uh, recognition of people who've helped you and support you each other, support of each other, and then respect and reference. Um, those yeah. are kind of the things that I now use as my four R's by Victor Orchen, and that really are. Um, you see, it's four R's. You didn't. You didn't. You see, I I, I put an acronym on it, but um, yeah. it's really mm -hmm. moving force, and it makes you think about both the people who have helped you and truly how important it is to keep empowering each other. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's true. 
uh, you know, in the moment like uh, like now, we get to realize our humanity. We get to realize our vulnerability. We also get reminded of how we have for long falsified to ourselves that we are so powerful, we are so strong, we are untouchable. And but when invisible sickness like Corona comes in, just to you know, it's a reset button. <laughs> put us back to the same level that, you know, you're human, you're limited to life, no matter how much money, how much power you have, how strong you, you have always misled yourself to feel you are that strong. No, you're not. You are as vulnerable as that person and you are not anywhere different from one human to another. So to me, I feel like unless we are able to build relationship among ourselves, unless we are able to re respect one another, as we are human race, we belong together. We are God children. We are all on this planet and we all inherited it for free. The planet was not bought by any nation, was not bought by any color. We all inherited it, but the human arrogance cropped in. We started building boundaries. We started uh, what we call the racial superiority. And we forgot that we are just humans. We failed to build relationship among ourselves. If we ever do that, we build it with a lot of syndicates. We build because we want to extract and exploit and manipulate something. And that has led us to disrespecting one another. If we disrespect one another to the point that we don't recognize their humanity, we don't recognize their strength, we are not able to refer to one another that that person is stronger, that person is good, I can benefit, I can learn something from. That's where we lose out. That's where four hours would shape the world. And I hope from the darkness of coronavirus, we will emerge or there will emerge the brightest light of a rejuvenated human spirit. I hope the one that will help us to realize that we are wholly human. And if any of us is affected, we are all affected. If one of us is affected, we all do. And if one of us is suffering, we all do. And the darker the clouds, as we always said, there's always an angle where there's the brightest colors of rainbow. That means there's sunlight of opportunity, sunlight of humanity, sunlight of hope, sunlight of love and generosity somewhere. That will, we should be that little narrow space to give that bright sunlight that will bring the beautiful, amazing, loving rainbow standing gigantically against the dark cloud of Corona. And that comes up to us, working together, loving one another, we respond together, we definitely support fellow human race. And that leads me to a specific question about the role of youth, considering you're the founder of African Youth Initiative Network. And the youth population will more than double by 2050, and there should be around 1 billion young people in Africa. And the importance of youth activism has become increasingly apparent and obvious in recent years. Where do you see specifically the, the place of the youth? And um, in, in this time of crisis as well, and I saw you sent out a message to resilient young people in Africa and how you're demanding and also encouraging their leadership to champion community awareness, preparedness, and prevention. Where and what is the specific role of youth um, in, in all this transformations that we're going through? Yeah, that is a very key part of everything. You know, around the world, the energy of young people has been abused. We ended up militarizing the energy of young people we gave them opportunity to become the most sophisticated tech champions who are good at building heavy weapons of mechanizing weapons of mass destruction. And we take pride in that. That's how the world has been misleading one another. And when you come to Africa, this is a bunch of, uh, the majority of the population are young people who are uneducated, unemployed, uh, who are afraid, they got nothing to lose. And you know, with the current corona situation, 
the problem that I see going to be stronger in Africa is actually related to young people because people are not making a living anymore and crime will increase, crime will go up and it will even get harder and harder to move around because majority of people are locked down and they're struggling to lock down because governments are using forces to fight people who are not locking down. Because we always wondered why would the government use such amount of violence to beat angry women who are selling vegetables to make money and you shoot and kill them. Why shoot and kill innocent civilians? Did they manufacture corona? They did not. I don't think they're being in the street is because they want to die. They're in the street because they don't want to die of hunger. It's about empowerment. Our government has made one mistake. They have not empowered the society. The best way to enforce is to empower. And we're saying, can we reach out to the potential, the young energy, the youth, tap in this potential? They're the majority. If this energy is not tapped and redirected to positive causes, they'll become a negative force. They're building and they're becoming a big force and it's going to be a negative force. So we need to get to a point where we tap in the potential of young people, transform that energy into energy for growth, energy for peace, and let them be assets for change, positive change, assets for love, assets for peace, not tools for injustice. Why do we have to harm them in the midst of their despair? It will just be a reason for them to become more violent. And we think Africa's future is going to, to be affected a lot if we don't tap and re redirect the energy of the young people. And that's what we are doing, everything it takes to make sure that let us mitigate any potential violence or conflict arising from corona. Thank you that you also mentioned a thing that I personally very care about, and that is the violence against women and girls, uh, because 42 million Ugandans are currently confined at home to slow the spread of yeah. COVID-19. Yeah. But of course, yeah. as we know, six in 10 Ugandan women experience spousal violence and that protection of girls, particularly children and young women, yeah. is threatened because of the possibility of, you know, child marriage, violence, et cetera. So I think that there is a, an additional danger and threat. And uh, I think that awareness about it is very important. So I'm very thankful that you also uh, put that out. I think that a lot of people who might be listening to this, um, who are either based in the United States where I am currently or around the world might be experiencing a lot of strange hardships that they never experienced before. And uh, all the conversational companions that I have here who will come from different countries and from different industries and who had different struggles without equating that with the current realities, is there something that you think you want to share with the listeners in terms of how to better adapt to the crisis that they might you know live for the first time and this grief mm -hmm. that um they're you know the grieving of old life of normalcy as they knew it is there something that you think that you want to share uh, that might be beneficial potentially to them yeah it's true we have a very gripping account of the history, what we have seen. And of course, like uh, to majority of us in Africa, this is not the first time we are seeing uh, pandemics like this. It's been there, it's been one after another, after another. And I, we felt so a lot of time, our cry for help never reached to the right ears. Uh, majority of people who came in to help Africa, a lot of them probably meant well to do so, but either in the process got hijacked to become a popularity, uh, you know, uh, ground, you know, looking for visibility and all that. But a majority also meant so well and their support has been great. One thing I can say, first of all, this is not the time, first time we are getting locked down. I was in the lockdown for 20 years in the refugee camp, in the IDP camp. Mm -hmm. We were not only told to go and stay at home. Mm -hmm. We were put in the camp. 
and the attack was happening in the camp. Every time you went out of the camp, there was attack. If you're in the camp, there's attack. So we didn't even, we were not even safe. We didn't even have where to sleep. But this time, at least we are told to stay home. Mm -hmm. The only thing which are taken, is taken away from you is, uh, is freedom to move around. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that level of discipline. Like uh, I can also, first of all, say that I can understand and I can relate so well when maybe out of despair, somebody can't comply to lockdown. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't understand. And I think it's, it's totally lack of class for somebody to refuse to lockdown because of the feeling of, you know, entitlement, so privileged that they don't want to lock down. That one I can't understand because why would you feel so privileged to lock down and fail to adhere to comply with the regulations of COVID-19 prevention? Mm -hmm. That I don't understand. I think that's a state of classlessness. But in a way, of course, what I would say, we need to adjust as human race that we need to not be too used to the life of comfort. Around the world, people are suffering. Just because it has not knocked our doors, we didn't know they were suffering in the world. Who would imagine that in the modern Europe and in the modern America, thousands of people would die per day for a month plus. Who would ever imagine this would happen? Never. Not even any American or European presidents would, would imagine this would happen in America or in Europe or in Asia. But everybody knew it would happen in Africa. And there was really that general consensus almost point that if people are to die, the majority lump sum number of people should be Africa. Yes, we need to adjust our heart and know that for the good of our planet, we can. There are moments when we are too powerless to protect our own. And there are two moments that when we are only human, we need to realize that you're only human. But you don't need to feel too safe to care. You don't need to wait until suffering knocks your door. Then you start caring. It will be too late. For too long, we have seen, we've been reading in the news everywhere how many people are dying in the Mediterranean trying to cross from Africa. Some of the ships were even, boats were even sunk in the, in the, in the middle of the sea. And all this thing has been happening, it was acceptable by the power of this nation or the, of, this, of this planet. I think my message to the world community is we are just one people, we belong together. We may not have all the resources equally, but we, one thing that we share, we all, each of us who live a life has got a heart. We have to transform that heart into a more practical, don't put it into our resources. We don't need people to give us their money. We need people to give us their heart. And that is the heart of care. If you give it because you care, it's better than you give it because you're rich. That's the difference. And I feel like the world needs to learn to care for the poor and the vulnerable in our society. And we have reached a point where we know if one of us is suffering from a virus in any part of the world, it can reach all of us. And with the technology, it can even spread faster. And maybe this is going to open our hearts. We cannot be atlas anymore. We have to be caring. We have to be you know, in it together. But we cannot wait until it knocks our door before we start caring. We need to do it. And that's why we are saying that Africa is struggling to navigate what they're going to do with corona. And they are really simple, simple. We are not going to be able to build any medical facility strong enough to treat it right now. The only way to do that is to prevent it. We can do that, but we need to be supported to do that. And that's what I'm saying that even if it was to be over from Europe or America tomorrow, as long as there's corona in Africa, it is still on this planet. It can affect any of us at any time. Absolutely. And I am so grateful and happy that there are people who can look up to your leadership in your communities through this crisis. I think We've also understood the importance of leadership and how different leaders could yeah. impact the situation on the ground with their actions and with their attitude and with their words. So um, thank you for all those insights that you've sh 
graciously shared uh, with our listeners. I think it's humbling and it's um, absolutely crucial to hear this uh, and to learn from each other. Um, I do also want to, my aim with this podcast also is after I speak with my guests about some very serious topics mostly um, and challenges that affect us all kind of uh, in, in different ways to get to know you better to in, in a way that will make listeners learn something about you that does not necessarily or usually come across throughout all those numerous inspirational speeches that you give to audiences across the world. And mm -hmm. so um, it's five short, sweet questions as I ask them, as I, as I call them. And um, mm -hmm. the first one is, once the current emergency is over, we will forget some uh, realities in terms of temporary awareness. Is there something that you would not want to forget? Was okay, there... Sorry, some, some, there was an interruption in the network. Can you ask the question again? Absolutely. Once mm. the current emergency is over, uh, we will, by our nature, forget some things. Some things, of course, will never disappear. But is there something that you would not want to forget from this time, whether a new positive or a recurring negative thing? But is there something that you think you will not want to forget? Uh, yes. Uh, from, from the current situation, I do know that Corona by far is the worst it is the worst global threat for our generation but we have a fighting chance to win it to, to bring it to an end so if i were not to forget something about corona i would love not to forget the generosity the kindness of fellow human who are even struggling to survive, who did not give up on being kind and generous and supportive to one another. I would like to remember for the rest of my life, people who are willing to step forward, to, start, to support people who don't have, like population in Africa. In my own life, I would love to have such people in my memory. And such people should be part of my, my history that even though in the midst of the hardship that threatened all of us, at least some of us still extended our hand to help some of us. Thank you. I certainly will not forget having this conversation. <laughs> That's one of the things. <laughs> and I hope that I can't wait to get together um, in person uh, once, once this pandemic is over. Um, and I do agree with what you're saying. And I think that kind of the idea of community as we reimagine it is something that um, I hope brings and, and remains as a, a force of good after this is done. But related to maybe first question, which of your personality traits has been the most useful, you think? Uh, yes, <laughs> my most useful personality trait has been trust. I always have trust in people. And I always have faith. Because of the trust, I always have faith in every, in the future, regardless of the present. I always have faith in the future. Because I trust in people, I trust in myself, I trust in people. That gives me a chance to be faithful in the future, that regardless of the present, the future will be bright. Well, there's so much to learn from you. And so I'm so <laughs> glad that, that we have this uh, recorded for history. And I think that one of 
the things that this pandemic brought out for me, for example, and I said that in the introductory episode is that I'm okay with feeling more vulnerable and brave at the same time. I think that Mm -hmm. it's okay if there is a mistake with the sound or it's okay if there is a mistake with something. I think it's my intention to bring out a meaningful conversation that should count first for myself and then hopefully for others. And um, we are we are a work in process, I think. And that's why I like to ask this question, not like what, is, what of your personality traits is your best trait? I think what is most useful. And I think that, you know, being uh, loading, being able to move and grow is um, something that that really yeah. matters. So when you have 30 minutes of free time, which you don't yeah. have much, but if you, when you have 30 minutes of your free time, how do you pass that time? Uh, I, yes, if I had 30 minutes of my free time, which I always do anyway, <laughs> uh, I like to, I like to, I like to play around, like to play, maybe run around. And play some some games or soccer or something like that if I have chance. Right now the compound is not so big enough, so I can't play soccer. But at least to do the exercise, I can always do. And I like listening to music. I listen to a lot of uh, wonderful African music. Is, is there something you would share? I can put the link down below to the your favorite music as well. Yes, my favorite musician of all time is a South African musician who was unfortunately assassinated uh, some time back. He's called Lucky Dube. So he's my favorite, favorite musician ever lived. And he still lives, although he was killed many years ago. But his songs, yes, is a springboard to many, many situations. And I identify a lot because he sang it on the on the peak of their struggle against apartheid. And from the time we were growing up, calamities were multiple, and calamities remains multiple. Unfortunately, with corona makes it even more difficult to cope with. But peace is always an escape route. So any message that comes and promote peace and hope and raises my 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 positivity is always what keeps me strong in the face of struggle. Is there a skill or craft that you would want to master in the future? Yeah, I need to learn how to play a guitar, first of all, okay. and, a, and, a, and a keyboard. If I get the two, woohoo, then I'll be, <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be the happiest man alive. <laughs> Because I want to play my song as well, so I hope I will get it. So. Great. Well, I I can't wait to hear what comes out of it. To listeners, <laughs> Victor also has a great sense of humor, from what I hear. So um, I do wonder whether your friends also um, are they completely opposite to you? Are they are most of them similar to you? I, yes, definitely we are all very different as human race. We are not the same, but I feel like in every next race, there is an opportunity for us to learn. It might be very, you know, challenging uh, personality or character sort of approach to life. But to me, they're not like, they might be problematic, but they're not a problem. So I feel they are challenges and it's just my opportunity to learn and where necessary. If I can adapt, would be better. So I don't want to always be clouded by negativity. I want to try to transform my trauma, my pain, my suffering into an opportunity for leadership to bring about change. So. That said, again, I'm so happy that there, you know, you, I know that you are an inspiration to so many people across the continent and um, I can't wait to, um, for this to be over and hopefully with as least possible losses. And I hope that your leadership will contribute to better mitigation of this crisis. I think your attitude matters a lot. 
I'm so glad that you found time again. I think this brings us close to the end of today's conversation. Is there anything you would want to share for the end to, for our listeners um, as well? Yeah, I want to I want to just first of all appreciate you for hosting me and then giving me the platform to reach out to multiple audience in different parts of the world, especially now on the peak when everybody feels threatened, everybody is not so sure the uncertainty, and we have all realized that we are candidates for death. So I feel like the life we are living now is not new to some of us. We've been through many, many years ago and we continue to live. And I feel, speaking as an African, I, I, I also did read a lot of, uh, you know, to trace the history of humanity. I feel like, have we ever realized as a human race that with what we have seen now, it is also possible that with the change that we are not able to predict, there will be a moment in life when maybe one part of planet is inhabitable and we might be for the purpose of survival be forced to relocate and leave the other part of and share the other part of habitable planet but the question is with all the hatred intolerances you know we do have an injustice what will happen should that situation ever arise it's possible with corona the disaster is creating and all this kind of thing one part of the planet may may not be soon, but at some point may not be habit, you know, it may not be habitable. So for us to survive as a human race, we need to support. So it would be wise of us to distribute our quality of life, better way of living to all parts of the planet. So that in the event that one corner of our planet is not okay, we can relocate to another part of the planet. And I call upon people, we need to refocus our attention to Africa. I feel like Africa has given so much to the world, but the world refused to take Africa out of poverty. And many Africans have suffered to benefit the world. If you look in the history of humanity, there was a moment when there was famine in the land of Canaan, and they had, to, they had to run to Africa to settle in Egypt. And it also came a moment when the world was in need of manpower to build the, the world. Their nations, Africans, were taken as slaves to go and build. It also came a moment when the world wanted materials to build their nation. They came and colonized Africa. So to me, I have a conclusion that every moment the world is in the worst crisis situation, they look down to Africa or they look up to Africa. With the current capacity of the human power to destroy at best, with technology that has advanced so much in the world, but Africans are left behind, Maybe at one point the world will look up to Africa. So I would call upon the world to refocus and make sure that they support Africa to come along. Keeping it behind is just a shame on our, our race. Why do we have to keep promoting the murderous wave of indiscriminate violence in the continent, yet we can prevent it? I'm speaking for many Africans who may never have this platform, who even died crying, why? Why us? We don't create much, but we are the victims of the situation. So, well, needs Africa, just as Africans need the world. And if you care for us, this is the time that we need to see that care in practice. Thank you very much. And for everybody who wants to find out more specific, immediate ways of being able to get in touch and help, where can they turn towards in this particular moment, whether it's the UN appeal or your other initiatives? Yeah, uh, the appeal, we, we, yes, we are available for, for any, for, to share the materials. UN is also mobilizing our resources. We're also mobilizing our resources. And uh, we have a website, which is a bit long, but if you just Google maybe 
African Youth Initiative Network. African Youth Initiative Network, or in short, INET, A-Y-I-N-E-T. If you Google that, you can find us, and then we can definitely share with you materials or more information that you may require. Great, and I will put the information within the episode info um, as well in this podcast so that people might get more ways to connect. Victor, I would have loved to speak with you so much more on so many topics. I know how busy you are. Thank you again uh, for finding the time and I wish you so much success. I am privileged and humbled that you found the time to speak to me today. Thank you so much again. It's a great honor. Thanks a lot, uh, Riada, and I wish you very well. Stay safe and do not violate the lockdown regulation. I don't. So sorry if you heard my kids. I, I tried to tame them <laughs> to my husband is not doing a very good job right now. So I don't know if I'll be able to edit, but it's all natural, I guess, normal. <laughs> I mean, like, you stay, just keep in lockdown and stay safe until the world is livable. We are going to definitely. You have a big role to play and change the world. Thank you so much, Victor. And thanks to all the listeners who were with us today. So um, stay tuned for more exciting episodes and hold tight to those you love.